Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to a joyous episode of the Believe in Wizards podcast. We get criticized for being too negative on the show sometimes, even though we like to think of it as realism. But uh, that's just my perspective. Obviously, everyone's welcome to a different opinion. I think today's episode will be a mostly joyous one. Wizards now have a new team president, so that's exciting. There's a new day in Washington, and I've got Dan Favalli of the Hardwood Knox podcast and Bleacher Report joining me to talk about what this move is and how Wizards fans should feel about it. He follows covers the NBA at a, a national level and, and just someone I look to for for insight and commentary on on all this stuff and you know from the broader NBA perspective. So he'll he'll be able to come in here and kind of educate me on what we should think of uh the Wizards new team president Michael Winger. He comes over as the Clippers GM. So we'll get into all, all that here with uh Dan in a second. And as always we're brought to you by Stateside Vodka and their Surfside hard iced teas, hard lemonades, hard half and halves, peach teas, all this delicious stuff. And Now's an occasion to crack a couple. Uh, I'm on the West Coast for work right now, so I don't have my mic with me. So sorry if I sound bad, but I also don't have my surf sides with me, which is a little bit of a bummer because um, we could certainly uh, use a celebratory drink after this news. And as always, we're brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season and has you covered for. All your insider wagering needs from NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, UFC, boxing, all that good stuff. Fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino games. They're available to play right from your home. Head to the website today. You can use your mobile device and join uh, using our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, cool. Uh, let's just get right into it with Dan and, and break this thing down. All right. Uh, pleased to be joined by Dan Favalli. Dan, thanks for coming on and, and talking uh, Wizards and GM and actually team president. I want to get the title right because titles are so, so important today. Um, I, I think everybody is wondering what that means and what the role will be and who works under, above him and all this good stuff. But I guess just first off, uh, one, how are you doing? And two, should I be excited right now? Uh, I'm spectacular because the agenda is alive and well. My title pick from the preseason is still alive in the Nuggets. So we root, we root for me to be correct once every five that. years. So I'm yep. stoked. Um, but yeah, this is, look, I mean, one, the Wizards did it before the draft. So <laughs> if there was a franchise that you were worried, might not do that. Uh, congrats to the Wizards. Yeah. And I think this is, this is just a, it's an exciting name if you're mm. a Wizards fan. Because, and I told you this uh, already, I don't pretend to like know Michael Winger personally, but People around the league love him. Okay. And after he spent time with the Cavaliers, I think he was the president of B-Ball Ops during, uh, I think LeBron's first go around. That was yeah. forever ago. Yeah. Goes to the Thunder. Ferry. Yeah. yeah. And he's with Sam Presti for just a bunch of years, which yeah. is just like awesome. And then you're with the Clippers where you're part of one of the most aggressive. And I would still think they've become a meme because of what's happened in the playoffs and their player availability. Sure. But they've been an aggressive front office. They've been a creative front office. They've been a smart front office where it's like being able to mine, you know, they turned around or helped turn around Reggie Jackson before this season kind of falls off a cliff. Um, Nicholas Batum having a career renaissance in LA convincing, I guess, stars in Paul George and Kawhi to come there in the first place and then stay. Um, I'll be curious to see if they're allowed to be as aggressive as they were with Steve, yeah. uh, as he was with Steve Bomber's money um, at, <laughs> when we're talking about Ted Leonsis. Would doubt it, but I'm a skeptic. So right, we'll see. Uh, but just knowing how well respected that front office is in LA right now, and just they have a proven tracker. Like they've they've fielded competitive teams even before the stars were there. Mm -hmm. Like you can talk about whatever they did with Blake Griffin was Alice from a, a human and personal perspective, but from a business perspective to sign shrewd, him, yeah. then flip him for that. Yeah, it was shrewd, and I believe he was there for that. That was 2018. Maybe he yeah. wasn't there for that, but. Again, um, he joined with, in 2017, so I think that that puts him on the payroll by then. Yeah, so I guess maybe he was elevated to GM around then. Whatever. I just think this is someone who would have been fair, fairly sought after if there were a bunch of front office openings mm -hmm. right now. And I think it's a 
you know, we have to see what it looks like in practice. Uh, and you mentioned the title, which I think is big here. Does it infer that there's going to be some level of an autonomy? But then you look at the Woj report and it says he has full leadership, which yeah, is not the way to phrase it. That just means that he will be fired if things go wrong. He has the ability <laughs> yeah, to be fired ability, and yeah. if things go wrong. Yeah. Right. Uh, you mentioned just sort of the aggressiveness of the Clippers front office. And I, I think you already hit on it. That's not something I would sort of commend the Wizards front office for being the last several years. And the, the idea of running it back with the team they had, that's sort of not how the Clippers have operated. That's not really how Sam Presti operated. So it seems like just sort of, you know, learned behavior, right? If, if he does have auto autonomy, we'll know like really quickly, um, because I would imagine this is a guy that's probably not looking to stand pat and then run it back with like last year's team exactly kind of as constructed. Yeah. That's a great point. And excuse me, I think the Wizards have been at least aggressive in paying their own players, maybe even <laughs> yeah, when right. they don't necessarily deserve yeah. it. Uh, but you would think because, and I, the the jobs, the, the pickings are slim right now mm -hmm. around the NBA if you're looking to lead a front office. Yeah. And so you could say the Wizards had leverage there, but I would think this is someone who doesn't leave the situation he's exactly. in um, unless he's going to be granted the ability to say, hey, if I want to start over, let's start over. Or to say, him and Leonces come to an agreement where, Look, if we're not in this thing by the trade deadline this year, like now mm -hmm. is when we're actually going to have to tear it down. And you just bank on, you know, I'm not going to, there's KP, there's Kuzma headed into free agency. They have more trade value, theoretically, if they're on new and longer deals exactly. than they do in a sign and trade or if they just pick up their player options, which we know Kyle Kuzma won't do. KP, I guess, is kind of to be determined. So I think it's encouraging. But as I've also told you before, you just look at the Wizards track record, you look at who is still in charge of this team. And I think you have to be, skeptical but cautious optimism feels like it's appropriate here that's i think exactly how i would sort of uh characterize my feelings at this moment like i want to be excited but i also have this like sort of back of my mind like eh, i'll believe it when i see it kind of thing going on and and just i think you touched on two really important things there like this is a guy that by all accounts had multiple job offers over the last couple of years and the only reason you leave working under Lawrence Frank and Steve Ballmer, where you have all these resources and, and actual like brain power to work around is because you feel like maybe, you know, you can go somewhere and it can be your job and you can put your stamp on it. And, and you're not going somewhere where like a cheap owner is going to just tell you exactly what to do and you'll execute his vision for things. Uh, it, it just seems like that would be, you know, maybe a promotion and title, but a demotion in terms of like actual role and importance to decision making. So I, I think that's important. But the the notion of even if they're aggressive, it doesn't mean that like they won't re-sign both of those guys. It might just mean that they're less likely to sort of see them as building blocks for the future if that's not something that's working out. So I, I sort of maintain that both guys will be back just for that reason, because you've got to get something for them once you kept them at this last deadline. But it also probably means that maybe he won't like grossly overpay to do it. Uh, there's probably a limit that you know, the previous guy whose like job was tied to their, um, you know, track record maybe would have like thrown more money at them than, than seemed reasonable. Whereas this guy, like there's no, there's no personal attachment to either of these players. He didn't bring them in. Hopefully that means that we're not seeing like a five or four year, $155 million deal for KP and something similar for Kuzma or something, you know, insane like that. Yeah, the you know KP really doesn't have a ton of leverage just because when you look at the market, which team is going to go after him? Kuzma is a different story, just because I think positionally he fits a lot of places. Mm. But I would be with you there. I would still expect them to come back because look, you don't have pivots here right now. You do in theory, but you have the number eight pick and no cap space, bordering on a payroll that could dip into the luxury tax depending mm. on how much Kuzma and KP command. You're not teaming with all these really intriguing youngsters right now i mean you know how i feel about denny avia but yeah. like the like i i don't you're not built to necessarily pull off a blockbuster in large part because of that pick that's protected until kingdom come that's over to the knicks and so i think this feels very much like well we're gonna and i believe wes unseld was attached to this job yeah. and yeah. i do find it hard to believe that the Wizards insisted that it would have to be beyond next season and Michael Winger still took this. And so that's another interesting element of this is it feels very much like, can you maintain the status quo, try and improve on the margins, and then we'll reevaluate at the trade deadline or, or after next season. I think probably the most exciting part to this uh, and the immediate move after Tommy Shepard's dismissal was an external party would be brought in for this job. 
And I keep looking over his resume. I went on his LinkedIn. I see no ties to the Wizards organization over the previous two decades. And I think that alone is a win, let alone all the other guys uh, he's looked at or he's worked for. But I, I just went through the teams he's been attached to. And unless I'm like really bad at just basic math, uh, every stop he's been at, the team has always had a winning record. And one, that'd be crazy for the Wizards. But two, I'm sure that's like the number one thing that would sell Ted Leonsis. If you fire a GM and you say it's because he didn't make the playoffs, well, if this guy is always 42 and 40 or better, uh, I think that that's an appealing sales pitch to an owner who just at the minimum wants like a first round playoff gate every year. So I, I wonder how much that came up in the negotiations. Could it also be a situation where Michael Winger's just saying, I'm going to tell Ted Leonsis what he wants to hear, then I'm just going to try and finagle what I want to do after the fact. I don't honestly don't think that would be the case. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, could you look, he's there in Cleveland during like the the first LeBron go around. So they're really good for most of that time. And then he's in OKC during uh, the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook era, really good there. And then he's been with the Clippers and they've just been good ever since. So he has experience with a lot of successful mm-hmm. franchises. And I could see Beyonce's that pedigree appealing to him, even if you don't know how directly responsible he was for, you know, assistant GM and OKC. Like, what does that really mean when you already had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook right. in place? No. Um, but yeah, I could totally see that. That would be like right from Ted Leonsis' book. But I also wonder, like, this is a guy I would assume that you had to pay pretty handily. You had to give him the mm-hmm. president title because he had the GM title in LA. And it's like, why am I leaving LA to just be a GM? Yeah, I'm technically running it, but now I get to hire my own. GM. So I'm assuming they also had to pony up for him, which I think that's probably another encouraging sign if you're a Wizards fan. You mentioned the hire a GM piece. And I think that was sort of the first question I saw from Wizards fans is like, what does this mean? Is he going to be team president and GM like Tommy was? I think the fact that he's president of monumental basketball is, again, bigger than team president. This is probably closer to the role that Sashi Brown supposedly had as the director of monumental basketball or whatever he was called at the time and supposed to be overseeing supposedly the go-go and the mystics. So somebody is going to have to do the day-to-day stuff here, presumably, and and help him out a little bit. Maybe he's the ultimate sort of um, roadmap guy and the visionary there, but a friend of the show, Troy Halliburton, who was on this sort of uh, Michael Winger news before anybody said that he thinks that assistant, current assistant GM Brett Greenberg will be promoted and that's going to get in a lot of eye rolls and size from Wizards fans because it's once again we're promoting a guy from within a front office that wasn't um, particularly successful. But I don't know that it's the worst thing to have somebody with some longstanding ties to the organization or continuity in place that can at least sort of bridge the gap. And it doesn't also mean that you have to keep that guy long term either. Like, um, so I don't think that this is like the worst thing in the world that uh, as long as he's just executing on the stuff that you know Winger is laying out for him. Yeah, I I just keep coming back to the fact of there's no way he would have taken this job with such rigidity. And if if he wants to hire his own GM rather than promote from within, you have to believe he has the freedom to do that. And so if he co-signed on this, then you at least have to. I think it's a little bit more comforting than if the Wizards just did this and it was (laughs) some first time basketball executive who didn't have kind of the track record that that Michael Winger did specifically over the last like decade or 15 years or whatever it is. And I think for any Wizards fans that are like freaking out about like Brett being the guy during like the majority of the heavy lifting here, if he is made GM, by all accounts that I'd heard that Wes Unseld was actually the one leading a lot of the pre-draft process for them at the combine and things like that. So I don't know that that's necessarily reassuring in of itself, but I think that probably means that they're not dumping a ton on Brett Greenberg's plate, but that that could also be sort of um, inaccurate. This is at least what I've heard. So. And I think, uh, the, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I think no, even the other thing to remember is just having, if Winger is just the final say, and it's different in Utah because their general manager is actually really well-respected and Justin right. Zanuck, like Danny Ainge is the title of team CEO or Jesse, whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who, you know, like he's the guy that decided to to push the button yeah, on the territory that right. summer. And so even if you aren't comfortable with who is his primary, you know, subordinate underling report director, whatever it is, it matters that. Michael Winger is there at all. Like that's that's what I would point to in this situation. This is the guy doing the grunt work, right? Like somebody's got to rattle rattle the bushes on some of these trades or um, you know, go to these scouting combines or Eurobasket and things like that too that like maybe um somebody running, you know, all of monumental basketball doesn't have the uh you know, the the bandwidth to do. And just circling back to this sort of Clippers tenure like 
they haven't been as successful as I think any of us thought they would be when they pulled off the Kawhi Paul George thing. And now some people with hindsight have said like, oh, they shouldn't have traded SGA also, which I think at the time you had to do what you had to do to get that deal done. Just because a team hasn't been super successful with the moves they made, to me, doesn't mean that they weren't good moves. Like if I'm the Clippers, I feel like I have to do that move. And even in retrospect with the way it's played out, I still feel like I would have had to do that move. Is that reasonable to look at that that way? Yeah, look, we have the benefit of hindsight now. And so it's easy to say, oh, they should not have made that move. But the fact of the matter is, there was no one. There was no one in the moment that came out and said they shouldn't have made that move then. And no one knew SGA was going to be what SGA was going to be. No one even knew that Kawhi was going to follow this iffy availability trajectory. Everyone was going to make that move. And so now having the benefit of hindsight, no, you probably don't make that move. But you could say that about when when there are trades, it's different when they're, you know, the Sabonis for Halliburton wanted to do sort of a challenge trade there. That Mm -hmm. was under, that was in question in the moment. This one was just considered a no-brainer. Everyone was like, you know, oh, the Clippers found a way to trade for both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is what they essentially did. Just the way that Sam Presti found a way to trade both of them, even though he never even had Kawhi on the Thunder. So I, in, yes, again, it even if you thought it was hit or miss in the moment because of how much equity you gave up, you had to make that trade because of what you thought it meant. And I think you could reasonably say, if not for health issues, that this team, I, I won't say that they'll have a title, but like they probably have a conference finals appearance by now. If you play out 10 alternate timelines after they make that move, this is probably the least successful one of that mix. And and they've made a lot of moves around the fringes. And you talked about this, the Reggie Jackson moves and things like that. They rehabbed value on a lot of these guys and built like a really deep roster around two, two guys that like are ultimate restrictions to your cap flexibility right away. And if you're the Wizards and you're a Wizards fan looking at this, like you see the Bradley Beal contract as an albatross potentially. This is a guy that's made those things work on the margins and found a way to like enhance the team without, um, you know, like a ton of flexibility, I guess, to be able to do that. And he's also coming from somewhere that probably will not perpetuate the Daniel Gafford, Christoph Porzingis front court, which is, <laughs> and look, I mean, you know, finding a way to like, Norman Powell, not on the best contract, but you found a way to pick him up for pennies on the dollar, essentially. And he becomes might've won six men of the year if he stayed healthy. There's always the healthy caveats with the Clippers and even just the Amir coffee fine in LA. Yeah. He's a part of that front office and coffee didn't have the best season, but the fact that they found him at all and was worth keeping around the he's there for, I don't know how much of this is just the Lakers stupidity, but like the Mike Muscala of each Zubac swap. Mm-hmm. And so this is a guy who's at least, I don't know how responsible he is for all these moves independently, but he's a part of that process and of a team that like people are picking them to win the title this year because of all the talent and depth they have on that roster. And he was a key figurehead in building all of that. And so I don't, I'd be curious to see if anyone isn't happy about this hire, because if you're not at least like somewhat optimistic or at least comfortable with this hire, I want to know who would have made you comfortable. I just think it's more of, Oh, I'm inherently skeptical. I'm always going to doubt what the wizards are doing and that's fine. But I think this is like, borderline when even when you and we saw it like it was a slow drip of names and it wasn't this huge breath of names this to me feels like based off everything we knew the quintessential outcome for them yeah that's how i look at it it's like they probably weren't gonna do any better than this realistically like unless you thought Masai was coming which is clear that he just was not yeah and the, the bob myers thing when it immediately came out like the wizards have now formally expressed interest in bob myers and then there was like no follow-up to that of like and he's going to have a meeting with them or whatever. Like, it seemed like that was immediately off the table. So, like, of the guys available, it, it sounds like it came down to Michael Winger or Trajan Langdon. And Another good me, choice, by the way, too. I would, that would have been, I would have been fine yeah, with that as well. Agreed. But I, I think if you look at them sort of up against each other, you know, resume-wise, Winger probably has the better resume. Um, you know, also, he's probably been at this longer. But so maybe that's not a totally fair way to look at it. But, you know, I... I I'm not disappointed in this as a Wizards fan. And, and to be honest with you, I'm almost always disappointed as a Wizards fan. So I think um, that should, you know, should say something here as well. And just looking at some of the other um, moves they've made, and, and you mentioned uh, like the Amir Coffee deal and things like that. The Wizards have punted on the second round of the NBA draft for as long as I can remember, essentially, or guys that were never really going to be impact players. And just like last year, they took Musa Diabate from Michigan, like a high upside guy. And whether he works out or not, it's still like a bigger swing than anything the Wizards have done. 
they found ways to get guys like Jason Preston that were, you know, late bloomers, um, a BJ Boston that was a super highly regarded, uh, you know, elite high school prospect that underwhelmed in one year of college. They took him like he still got a future. So just just even their approach to like how to to attack some of these draft picks, you know, going into a draft where the Wizards have two second round picks, I think that alone should be encouraging to us as a fan base going out and getting Terrence Mann or, um, you know, th- those kinds of things under his tenure there have been pretty good. And again, I don't know if that's Lawrence Frank or him, but he's at least there co-signing on stuff. And, and I, I think that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to most is just like draft improvement. Yeah. And even look, the Bones Highland trade, Yeah, like being able to make a swing on that. And I know he doesn't have the best tenure with the Clippers, but he actually became fairly important to their rotation based off the bodies that were available. And mm-hmm. yeah, he didn't have the best season, but this is someone who people thought was going to contend for six man of the year coming off his rookie campaign. And there's the bad vibes or whatever in Denver, a lot of questions there, but to not be afraid yeah. of taking that risk. And that's so much of what bigger swings are is yeah. can you stomach if they don't pan out and there's stuff that does not pan out. I mean, mm-hmm. the Paul George Kawhi trade does not pan out according to plan, but they've had the stomach to not only like float it still, like they gave those guys new contracts, but to flush out on the margins to where, Hey, this is imperfect. They're not going to be available all the time. And we're still going to be really freaking good every single season. And and if you're rooting for a team that's perpetually in no man's land in the NBA, uh, this, this is front office that already says like, we're not going to try to do that. And whether it works out or not, like remains to be seen, but at least it represents like a, a shift in terms of approach, I think. And, and you talked about this a little bit. I think you're with LeBron in Cleveland. You're with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook uh, in Oklahoma City. You're with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in, in LA. Like This is a guy that's been at least adjacent to some of the strongest personalities in the NBA. And we never hear anything about like a bunch of drama between these front offices and and those players that he's been involved. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's it's at least within the normal range, there's no like blood feuds of guys that are forcing their way out and stuff. Um, yeah. I, I think the closest we came was with the Clippers in that first year of Kawhi and Paul George, where there were still the holdovers from that, like Tobias Harris, Neil yeah. Gallinari team. We're not happy with the preferential treatment the superstars were getting, but that's the, um, and maybe I'm misremembering something or forgetting mm-hmm. something from the LeBron era in Cleveland, but yeah, I mean, that has to, that that's huge in itself. And again, We've talked a lot about we don't know how much responsibility to ascribe to him for the success he's had at stops, but he's been there. It can't be one, purely a coincidence. And two, even if it's not him on a high level, he's been around names and talent, specifically in OKC and LA, that have then made those calls. And to even just be a part of that, if you view this as just his, and it's not, he was head of b-ball ops at one point in Cleveland. It's like, this isn't his first rodeo by any stretch. So even if you don't view him as like a primary voice, he's been around the past 15 years or so. He's been around the right ones for sure. At the very least, you just went from a guy that shadowed Ernie Grunfeld for 15 years to a sub 500 <laughs> record to somebody that's, that's you know, whatever you think of Danny Perry, he was largely successful as an NBA GM. Whatever you think of Sam Presti and and tanking and rebuilding and things like that, it's a guy that's drafted at least three Hall of Famers so far. And You've been around Lawrence Frank, who's built two really good teams in different stops. So uh, if you learn by osmosis, at the very least, I think this is um, still an upgrade from from where we were two months ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't, I don't have anything bad thing to say about this hire. The thing I keep circling back to is, does the title, does Woj's word salad reporting actually mean what not not what we think it means what it needs to mean yeah exactly. and i i don't know who i don't no one can answer that i mean i would hope that michael winger can answer that question but and i'm hoping that's a question during his intro presser that i'm assuming is going to happen the next few days i'm hoping that's something somebody asks him and i'll be very curious to see his answer or is there going to be like a water bottle signal with ted leonsis towards like no we gotta shut it down this is like too- <laughs> yeah well well that's all the time we have folks um you know like uh yeah it, it's that that's really what all of this relies on. And even, but at the end of the day, even if it's, we're committed to doing what Ted wants, even if he does that just more competently than the last guy, I still think that yields a better product. Like even if you middle build, but you're just better at it. Uh, I still don't see a world where that's not, you know, where you're going to worse off at the end of this. Or is it, you know, sort of, and I think Shepard had, like, I mean, the KP deal ended up being very good for Washington. Mm-hmm. They won that the second 
yeah. Russell Westbrook trade for sure. Yeah. So they make those good deals, but is this someone who's going to be willing to actually step out on a flimsier limb, mm-hmm. but the outcome is so much better than just this middle build to where I don't know what star becomes available this summer, but because you have Avdia, because you, and I'm not saying they should trade their lotto pick. I'm not, I'm not endorsing that, but if he's willing to put those assets on the table, if he's willing to be creative and say, yeah, we'll trade future first too, like first allowable after NYK and we'll stretch out that far. Mm-hmm. Are they able to get someone who's more of a hitting a triple or a home run type acquisition than, Hey, look at this double exactly. that we just hit, or look at this single, look at this, look at this walk. We just <laughs> walked. We're on first base. How great is that? Uh, I think the draft is especially where there's a lot of room for improvement. There were like a couple pretty darn good Tommy Shepard trades. Like, I don't think he was a total dud. It's just, it was sort of uninspiring at the end of the day, when you look at the whole picture and, and all of those draft picks are, are singles, maybe a ground rule double somewhere in there. (laughs) And, and like, if you get one triple out of this, you know, you're, you're still um, sort of better off. And, and the Woj reporting also said, He's viewed as a keen strategist, deal maker, and relationship builder. And uh, I think that alone, like if the deal maker part of it, um, you know, that, that that's an important piece, right? If, if you've just been in all these good front offices, at the very least, you're well-regarded probably and well-respected by your peers. And if all these other teams have wanted to hire you in past years, uh, that's also probably a pretty good sign too. Like not every team is stupid, I would imagine. So hopefully that's a good sign. Yeah. And I think, look, everyone's a good relationship maker. They say that about or have or build or whatever, whenever they hire them, it just doesn't mean as much anymore because of the way free agency has gone. And then also just let's call a spade a spade. Like Washington is not signing some premier free agent. Uh, And, but the, the deal maker aspect, like that is just, he has a proven track record now Mm -hmm. at these past two stops specifically um, of making these deals or developing talent that they've acquired through the drafts. When you look at him being a part of that OKC front office um like there's a proven track record of him being a part of that type of process now and that's huge for this team because i think one of the biggest criticisms at least on a national level is just the absence of a coherent process where where it's okay the plan you want to middle build but your actions just scream like the logic it, it sways like to and fro to where okay like you won these deals but they didn't actually move the needle. And it's then you go into negotiations with Bradley Beal and you give him everything when you didn't need to give him everything and still could have kept him. And so they've sent mixed messages would probably be the kindest way to put, despite knowing what their end game ultimately is, is that they want to make that first round playoff series. And yet everything they've done specifically over like the past five to seven years or whatever it is, is just sent like this confusing, ambiguous message to where They've shown flashes of, okay, we can do this, but then it's never like putting a run of transactions together that makes sense or materially improve your outlook relative to where, like, they just feel like they're still in, I mean, they're worse off than they were during prime John Wall Bradley years. Like that's, that's for sure. But like from kind of the downfall of John Wall there, they don't feel like they're any, the records might say some stuff different. They just feel like they're still in that spot that they were a half decade ago. Yeah, this is exactly just sort of like Groundhog Day for Wizards fans. Like every one of the last five seasons has kind of basically played out the same. And whether it's Isak Bonga as the starting small forward or it's Corey Kispert next year, like whatever, it, it's it hasn't really made any difference. Uh, the timing is probably most interesting to me. I, I'd heard some stuff that, you know, they were big on Kentucky guard Kassan Wallace or Kaysen Wallace or however you actually say his first name. It's different every time I hear it from somebody. But uh, they showed up to his pro day and were rolling six or seven deep uh, as a, as an organization. And maybe Wes was leading it, but Fred Greenberg is there. And it just seems to me like, all right, we've immediately gotten through the combine. Somebody like Michael Winger is presumably there in some capacity anyway. Uh, to me, it's like, all right, we've got a month to the draft. Like this had to get done one way or the other. So whether it was Winger or we move on to the next candidate and, and Trajan Langdon, I think they were just like, all right, this is probably the latest we can let this go without like compromising what to do with this traffic. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point too. And I will say though, based off what we know about Winger, like if he's the one who's in charge of this decision, I feel like Anthony Black, you are a Washington wizard. It's yeah. just like the, would be like my, predi- unless he's off the board sooner. But I do agree with you that the timing is super interesting there and probably says a lot. Um, but it's also good that like, okay, we're exactly basically one month before the draft too. And it's so like, that's at least enough time to, you know, 
get more information or put an infrastructure in place of how you're actually going to approach the um the draft. The other thing too, and this is specific to the draft and the larger offseason, this is going to be a I a wild. I didn't want to curse. I'm like stumbling through it. Fire a wild. Man. No, we love it. It's gonna here. be fucking wild this offseason <laughs> because you're looking at these. I still can't believe the players signed on the dotted line for this collective bargaining agreement. Mm-hmm. There are so many limitations that are gonna hurt player earnings, I think, yeah. in the long run. Um, of the you know, not star earnings, but the you know, the fringe stars, mid-tier guys, yeah. yeah, and lower tier guys, certainly. But when you're looking at these teams specifically, there's gonna be a lot of transactional movement because some of them aren't gonna be able to have the ability to like aggregate salaries and take on salaries and trades moving forward. And I think there are going to be other teams that look at this competitive landscape and say, there's like, I don't know, 17 teams that are going to talk themselves into having title chances next season. Maybe we sit this one out and pull back. I just think there's going to be a lot of talent and moves that we see available. Even looking, I mean, let's look at the draft. How many of the teams in front of the wizards could realistically think about trading down because they're on, they they want to prioritize more of an immediate timeline. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's something that, you know, I would think at least you would trust. And this is probably just my way of getting here because I haven't done enough of my draft prep yet, but like, you know, Michael Winger is a guy who I think would be involved in maybe the more aggressive or like more riskier scenarios. Mm -hmm. Or if they do pivot the other out and say, yeah, we'll put number eight on the table with other stuff. Like, what does that actually get you? And I think the, just the pretext of this off season specifically, I can't, you can't speak to future summers, but like. I feel like that's actually a pretty big deal. Like this is the guy, one of the guys you would want or people, excuse me, you would want running your team for this specific offseason. That's unbelievably well said. And I think this draft is the same way. Like next year's draft is supposed to be shit. The year after that draft is questionable as well. Like this is one you have to get right. It's an offseason you have to get right. You have two big free agency decisions. Like you need someone competent navigating you through the next two, two and a half months. And this seems like the guy to do it. I, I as an Anthony Black uh, apologist, I, I'm glad that you said that, and I hope that that actually is the outcome for them. I think he ends up probably going one pick before us. But to your point, maybe Michael Winger is the kind of guy that finds the way to move up in a draft like this and, and finds himself at six instead of eight. And the last, I don't know, four years of Tommy Shepard, we'd hear so many almosts. The Wizards almost traded up to get Denyov Bia at four with Chicago. The Wizards almost made a play for Donovan Mitchell. The Wizards were interested in DeJounte Murray and none of those people, you know, I mean, obviously Abdiya got drafted here, but like none of those deals ultimately went through. So Michael Winger already, I think, seems like he'll um, be able to pull a few more of those things off than than Tommy did. And, you know, to your point, if you have like this kind of crazy offseason, guys have to take money to go somewhere. And if you're the Wizards and you haven't been a free agency destination, like maybe this is good for you. Like maybe you're the winner in all this sort of like, you know, overall macro chaos that's going on around the rest of the league. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point too. And I actually have a question for you as someone who follows the team more intimately, what are you going to look for specifically? What's going to be the telltale move period of time this summer where you think you'll have a hold on, okay, what type of freedom does this, does this person have? Is it going to be based off what they do at the draft or is this more so we just need to see what happens with Kuzma and Porzingis's contracts or what happens with their free agencies in general. I think you'll just be able to tell about how he views basketball by how much of last year's starting five looks like it's going to be next year's starting five. And the Monte Morris thing, like all you hear the, like the sort of propagandists locally talk about is, well, his assist to turnover ratio was so good. And everyone that watches this team uh, whether we're objective or not, is like, well, Monte's a really good backup. You don't want him to have to be your starter. If he's at least making some moves to kind of pivot away from that, it, it also says that he's not just going to like, you know, go along to get along with Wes Unseld. Monte Morris is by all count Wes's boy, but um, you had all the players come out and say that they didn't like the fact that it took the coaching staff until the last month of the season to come on board to the idea of this team needed to run more. So if you see a, a front office that's like going out and getting guys that could be weapons in transition and are better athletes and things like that, I, I think that alone sort of signals just a change in approach. You mentioned it already, like the two big, the two drop center front court. Uh, it's it just, if this were 2004, I'd love it. You know, like they would match up well with Roy Hibbert and David West, but 
Uh, it's just not where we're Josh at. Gibson, Joe Team Noah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think if if we just see some of those moves that change that thing up, if I, I like Daniel Gafford, but if he's moved in favor of a more dynamic point guard, or he and Monte and somebody a future first are turned into someone. I think those kinds of things tell you like, all right, we're not running this shit back and we see a better way to play modern basketball at the very least. I, I would, I'm just going to agree with you because you would know better than I, but I will say I will hypothetically or mentally in my head, I will run through the streets, banging pots and pans. If they make a move that just implies they're not super win now at any yeah. point this off season, if it's, even if they let, I won't applaud it because letting either KP or cup, but like, if you let KP walk in free agency, because the, the fucking Hornets decide, hey, we're going to operate with cap space and we're going to give them a crap ton of money. Yeah. Uh, and you just don't, I'll be like, man, what's going on? I won't, that's a pretty bad misallocation or misappropriation yeah. of assets when you could have moved them at the deadline probably. But anything that I see that's like, oh, they're not going to go all in to remain on this treadmill of sub-mediocrity is going to get me to like give one like like a fist pump at the yeah. very least. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think everything I've heard sort of off to the side from people is that like, KP and his team recognize that this is his opportunity to get some long-term flexibility. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to try to get the most money they can, but I think they probably know they're not operating with a ton of leverage and he's not going to get a huge payday somewhere else. So whether it's the team option or the, his player option becomes more likely, or it's a team-friendly deal that if even if he wants out, he could ask out after he signs it. I think it's almost a certainty, in my opinion, that he's back next year. The Kuzma one is where I'm like, if they're not willing to get into a bidding war for him, that's where I'm like, okay, I'm 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 feeling pretty good about things now. As much as I like Kuzma the player, it's just, yeah. you know, it's $35 million for a team that just won, you know, 35 games. Is is that really where you want to go long term? He's also the one that I think you could more easier sign like it'd be easier to sign and trade him because there will mm -hmm. be like what if memphis is somebody like, hey, we're wants finally him. we're yeah. finally going to go to upgrade the the forward spot although maybe they don't because they're going to be missing john morant for like at least 20 games next mm -hmm. season probably but like, then you can actually not only are you willing to make this move that is decidedly not win now but if you're able to recoup assets in the process yeah. that's something that you probably wouldn't have trusted the front office mm -hmm. that was in place before to do during this summer with kuzma's or even kp's free agency specifically yeah, there's a better chance if you've got Michael Winger making a sign and trade with the Grizzlies, you get a Santi Aldama and a pick back than you do get Dylan Brooks out of the deal and it's another sign and trade. Like, you know, like that would be the most sort of run it back Tommy Shepard move I think we could have uh, expected. Yeah, that oh man, the, the the double sign and trade for Dylan Brooks and Kyle Kuzma didn't that one did not pop into my mind. But if Shepard was still here, maybe it's decidedly on the table. It, at least that's somebody that's selling themselves on win now or something like that. If uh, I don't know, but it, yeah, like. I think that's a great point by you is, is it how progressive do these moves look and are they looking beyond just like Bradley Beal's window? Uh, and, and maybe they take a step back in this first year and let this guy build around some stuff. I think that's, that's a good sign also. I w I think just based off the hire they made, I don't know. I'm not going to predict which way it swings. There's going to be like one huge swing that they yeah. take for better or worse to be better or worse. Mm -hmm. It just feels like that's what this is pointing to and what sure. will be the culmination. But the fact that I would have, and I think many people would have no sense of what direction that's going to travel speaks to just the general essence of the Wizards organization. I don't even mean that as an insult. It's just kind of a sure. fact. No, I kind of like that level of mystery now where it's yeah. not knowing what the Wizards were going to do this offseason was very unsettling before. And now I'm, I'm not even morbidly curious. I'm pleasantly intrigued, I think. There's one of my favorite episodes of the show. There's always, it, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's in season four. Charlie Day's in the back of the van and he's cut the brakes and he jumps out the back and he just yells wild card bitches. Like I just, I want the wizards to be wild card, uh, you know, the wild cards for one off season. Like we're always just like, oh, maybe we try to get involved late. And then we never really had pieces to do it. If the wizards are like shaking things up, that alone would just like excite the shit out of this fan base. And, and whether they're worse on paper next year or not, I think we would go into next year with like better vibes as a fan base. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. And I think that this is just a good start towards that. And at least it seems like it's hinting mm -hmm. towards that. It's just let's let it play out, I guess, and see really what I think is pressers are weird because they don't really have to be telltale. You have to read between the lines a lot of the time, but maybe it'll be super, you know, if he comes in and says it, 
like, yeah, I've been given full autonomy. Like you can't back away from that. If you just yeah, go into it looks this, really bad for Ted yeah. later if you don't. Yeah. Right. And so that's something you could look towards, but I, I just I can't help but be cautiously optimistic about the future of this team building process to where even if it's and I'll even give him the benefit of the doubt and the team, the slight benefit of the doubt, if they look largely the same heading into next season, but maybe they're actually okay. playing the number eight pick a bunch. Right. Like maybe they keep the number eight pick and they're playing a bunch. Yeah. And then if it's not working out around the trade deadline and that's when you're active, or maybe it's okay. They look largely the same, but man, they really crushed the Kuzma and KP negotiations. Those are deals that will be eminently movable. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, I want players to get paid as much as they can. Sure. I think the market's going to dictate it. And if they're smart enough to work it in their favor, where maybe there's back end prote protection with KP because of all the injuries, or do you have team options mm -hmm. on these things? Um, if you're leaking out into a third and and fourth year. And if if there's just something along those lines, even if they look the same, yeah. but the process by which they got there was visibly different, yeah. I think that's even encouraging by by this franchise's standards for sure. hundred percent. Again, it just represents an organizational, like a tonal shift um in, in the way they approach things. You talk about like the Beal contract and just throwing things at him to beg him to stay, even though you can give him the most money like one team option somewhere in one of these deals at some point in the next two off seasons even would be an upgrade or what you do with the Denny Avdia extension yeah. I think is is going to be you have to max him I think you yeah. you have to max him that's yeah so is a super max on the table or does he have to get <laughs> it will be after this first? season I think okay. so he might want to play it out and yeah uh, or even I mean like and you kind of hinted at this with the KP negotiations where if his camp understands this is like he had a very good season. Mm -hmm. I would bet heavily against him replicating his availability at the yeah, very least. Yeah. And they see this as a chance to recoup long-term security. Okay, let's say you have KP under contract for the next three or four years, but if you've now lowered his cap number next season mm -hmm. because he opted out and resigned by like eight million or ten million a year, like that's almost a mid-level exception at that mm -hmm. point. And so even something like that to show some level of just creativity or I don't even want to say offbeat thinking, but more inventive thinking, I think it goes a long way after this era of just uninspiring decision-making that we've largely seen. And again, it feels weird to say that because Shepard won a lot of his more recent trade. I mean, the Rui Hachimura one is going to cause some... He, he won I mean, more than, they, than he did at the very least. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's the best way to put it. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's the other thing too, is, is you see stuff like, I don't know how long it's been since the Wizards have just signed somebody or drafted someone outside the top three that they've signed to a second deal. Like, if... If whoever they take with this eighth pick and this new guy instantly looks like someone that they'll want to give a second contract to, they, like that's a that's a case for optimism. What they do with Johnny Davis is going to be extremely interesting. Like, is yeah. there a way that he has a good enough offseason that they see him as a rotational piece, or is it, hey, this dude's going to be in the G League again next year, and now that he's healthy, we're just going to let him cook? Like, who knows? But it, again, it'll also signal just sort of the, the different approach um, that that they're presumably taking, and even the. And we didn't really talk about like the marginal moves, which essentially when you look at their cap sheet is all they're really built to make this yeah. offseason, unless they do something drastic sure. to trim salary or, or make a huge trade. When you look at their approach to free agency and it's like, okay, are they willing to roll the dice on Nikhil Alexander Walker? Or you're talking about athletes like Hamadou Diallo is kind of a low key, most improved candidate before he gets injured. Mm -hmm. uh, not doesn't provide the best spacing, but look comfortable, more comfortable with his mid range game yeah. and just can be moved around a lot. Or if you just want, players that feel like they're infinitely scalable or universal fits. And are they a team, you know, you could measure, I think the IQ of front office by like, well, how good was Utah Watanabe this yep. past season? And so I'm not saying make them your centerpiece acquisitions of the sure. summer, but if those are names you're just looking at, because you know that you have finite spending power and other teams maybe aren't lining up to go get them. And the wizards have not made drastic salary cuts or any major moves. And they open free agency, but like, we're just going to go get, these guys that we believe can fit as part of a team concept, or they make us, as you mentioned, more athletic and explosive, and they're not going to cost whatever version of the mid-level we're working with. It won't cost us the entire thing. That's another good metric to, to measure this, this team, the front office, and the direction in which they're headed by. And just uh, other friend of the show, uh, um, Kevin Broom, that hosts the So Wizards podcast, always talks about how Tommy Shepard's approach was just like, oh, we need shooting. Let's draft the guy that's a shooting specialist. Oh, we need rebounding. Let's get a rebounder. Oh, we need shot blocking. Let's get a shot blocker. If they're looking for two-way guys or multi-skill guys, like even that represents, uh, you know, kind of a departure. And and I think we'll see that with the draft pick too. Like Tommy Shepard talked about adding more athletic wings from the day he came in, and like 
I, I don't mean this as disrespectful to the guys they've taken, but I wouldn't describe Corey Kispert or Denny Abdia as like super athletic wings. That's they bring a lot of good things to the table, but that, that's not the first thing that comes to mind with either of them. So just like doing some of those things that you talk about doing, uh, we've had nothing but like six foot and under point guards, you know, for the most uh, part of Tommy Shepard's tenure, at least, at least the backups and how will Neto and Ishmith and now Monte Morris and like maybe some size around the perimeter would be a big thing. Like, do you look at what Toronto does and try to go that route? Like just, just something that shows like you're thinking more outside the box than like, Oh, we need a guy that can dribble. So we'll go get Monte Morris. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I think it's actually going to be easy to spot the degree to which this team has made progress, no matter what, again, if it's, they look largely the same, their top six, seven players, whatever the same next year, not ideal, but fine. But then what, how they flesh out the rotation after who they use the draft pick on, what free agents are they linked to? What moves? Like maybe, you know, we don't have to be fans of almost, but like sure. what trades are they actually linked to where it's, oh, like they almost acquired Fred Van Fleet via no. sign and trade or something. And like, you can look at, well, I don't know if I love that, but if they're going to be ultra aggressive, exactly. I respect yeah. it. And so it feels like it's going to be so easy to see how confident you can be in them moving forward. Even if again, your top six, seven guys are the same as they were last year. Or they're almost are guys that are realistic. Like the Wizards couldn't trade more than one draft pick. And it's like, well, the Wizards really want to go out and get Donovan Mitchell. It's like, you yeah, know, shit. Every team in the NBA wants Donovan Mitchell theoretically. Can they make a realistic move to go get him? And the answer for the Wizards had been consistently no. Are they attached to guys that they could theoretically actually pull off? And and then do, do you actually believe that those are the guys they're at least trying to get? I think that again would give fans some encouragement. And and typically I'm like, Everything this organization does is stupid. Let's give them no benefit of the doubt. But like this guy alone, I'm at least willing to give the benefit of the doubt. And just where their where their cap sheet and stuff is and their lack of assets. Like I don't think we should expect like this cataclysmic, you know, shift in everything from, from day one. But it's like if there's just some semblance of a plan, or they say there's a plan and they make a few moves that seem like they're actually gonna like execute on that plan. Like th that'll buy him a couple years of, of goodwill, in my opinion. Or even if there's like hints of autonomy where it's, oh, yeah. they just punted on, and I wouldn't be an advocate for this, but you mentioned it before. These are not his guys that are in there. And it's, yeah. oh, did he just trade Johnny Davis or a Corey Kisper? Or did he just, they just punted on Denny Avia extension yeah. talks altogether? Or is, oh, he wanted more of them in the level? No, we're done. We're shutting mm -hmm. it down. And it's, you might not agree with it, but then it's like, well, okay, he actually does have the influence that you think is necessary to lead this organization somewhere. And if they go out and get players and don't immediately promote what kind of heritage night that player allows them to get, I think that says that the Ted isn't making these moves or at least puppet mastering. Well, I'm sorry, bad joke, but we, we love a good heritage night here uh, in the Wizards fan base. So I don't know. Dan, is there anything we haven't touched on here that, that you think is uh, worth circling back on? It does feel like this is a guy who's going to come in and if they're keeping KP is trading Daniel Gafford, right? There's just like, yeah. I know he doesn't make absurd money for a backup, but this just doesn't feel like the, this dual big front court is just not going to stand. And if it does, then I might have questions about like what's going on here. Can you get a little more modern with a power forward next to Gafford or with next to Porzingis that's switchable, does some dirty work, and then go get a backup center like, I don't know, Alex Len, and he gives you 80% of what Gafford gave you for his money. Sign him at the minimum. Yeah, right there, yeah, exactly. Like what you, what you're getting from Gafford or the role you're expecting from him, are there at least better fits or better, better utilization of that money? And does someone like Charlotte or someone who needs a Dallas is there? just like, are you able yeah. to, yeah. Cause D Gafford's good. Don't get me wrong. And sure. the money's just, I think he starts at 12.4 million. Yeah, actually, it's, which not, is, it's not a terrible deal at all. Yeah, that's fine. But it's just, you have KP, if you're going to be paying him $30 million a year for whatever period of time, unless the plan is to move him later. Uh, but like, that just feels like that's just something I'm watching where regardless of what direction the wizards are headed in, maybe it's Monte Morris. Cause he's in the final year of his deal and they want to vary things up at point guard, but like the Gafford KP stuff. I'm like, mm, this doesn't seem like a guy who's just going to let that stand. I totally am with you. I think the two I've immediately identified as like most likely to move from a new GM to me are um, Gafford and Monte, just exactly what you talked about with Monte, but also if he's not really going to move the needle for you a ton and and you saw a lot of like impact from DeLon Wright when he was healthy and Jordan Goodwin had a really good stretch and he's on a super cheap deal, do you get most of what you got from Monte from those two guys and that money could be better spent elsewhere? I think that would also show sort of a more 
creative, inventive approach to this from, from the new guy. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you're able to, it's not just a matter of opening minutes for someone else. It's yeah. okay. Well, what could we actually get some, I don't know if you get, do you get a late first round pick from a contender? Sure, that'd be huge. I mean, like the Celtics and their turnover issues is yeah. just like, I, like, are that someone, I, their salary matching is weird, but point being like, that would be opportunistic where it's okay. That doesn't prove the wizards are headed in a different direction. They could still end up in the same area, yeah. but they're at least willing to be opportunistic yeah. about guys that felt like they were sort of etched in stone for last year. And I say that as a really big Monte Morris guy. I'm less of a Daniel Gafford guy than I am sure. a Monte Morris guy. I, I don't think most of us as a Wizards fans have a ton of issue with Monte Morris. It's just about the role they're asking him to fill and how he fits around the other pieces and, and where he'd be most valuable. If he's on the Bucks next year uh, and all he has to do is spot up shoot and not turn over the ball a ton, like doesn't have to go below the free throw line ever. Yeah. Yet. That's a huge win for him. Um, but but here, like you need to be able to do a little bit more just based on the limitations of the rest of the roster. So I think that would be interesting just to kind of see if they're at least kicking the tires on a few of those things. Um, that, that would be like a big win for me in, in offseason number one. Uh, Dan, the single most important question of this entire episode, uh, where can people find your work? Uh, all my nonsense is on Twitter still, uh, at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E and check out the Hardwood Knox podcast. If you like general NBA talk at large, and it's spelled exactly as it sounds Hardwood Knox, and it's available wherever you consume your podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, the, the whole nine. That's got my ringing endorsement as well. I look forward to maybe us, uh, warranting a mention on the next pod. I think, you know, as Wizards fans, we're just like, do general NBA podcasts talk about us ever? So I, I I hope we get just some small inkling of a shout out because of this news. Uh, yeah, you'll be in there, and we did do you and I recorded a full. Oh yeah, yeah. Other other than that, uh, it was people, it was people are sick of with, hearing from me. It was written with technical difficulties that to the point where now, by the way, this was yours was the podcast was the tipping point. I'm connected via Ethernet when there I do streaming go. and podcasts. I'm like I'm not fucking around with with Wi-Fi. So and hopefully you'll come back um, when we do our off season look aheads. I have Anytime. no idea what we'll be talking about. At that point, which is very exciting, yeah. actually, very for, exciting for once. The the pod otherwise would have been like, yes, they are running it back, and uh, there's nothing to talk about. But uh, yeah, shout out to the Santa Clara Marriott for having really good Wi-Fi. I haven't <laughs> lost connection a single time during this, and and I was very nervous about that. So uh, that's a win. Everybody, this is a good news thing. We should be excited. Let's just enjoy like the next month of optimistic Wizards fandom, and then uh, depending on the draft pick, we'll decide whether we want to burn it all down or not. Uh, Dan, thank you for doing this. Everybody, thank you for listening. Go Wizards, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're presented by betonline.ag, and we will catch you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube